All right, we're going to start at verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that God uh, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and every plant of the field before it hold on and every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul now tonight I want to cover a few things in these short verses that I just read and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the image of God because we talked about that in detail on day six about God creating man in his image and his likeness. I even read you my paper that I wrote on it for class, right? So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that tonight. We will touch on it before we uh, end this. But there is, in this chapter, is uh, somewhat of a controversy because people try to make chapter two a recreation Chapter 1 was a creation, and then chapter 2 is a creation. And if you look at the grammar and the vernacular that's being used here, you'll see very convincingly that he's giving you details about certain things that he created, a recap, if it will, with details on how he did it. Amen? Now, one of the first things that I want to talk about is uh, here in verse it says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Now, this is a theme that's going to keep going throughout Genesis and throughout the rest of the Bible, actually, when it says these are the generations of the heaven and earth when they were created. Notice it's telling you what it's about to talk about, first of all, okay? It's giving you a subheading all by itself, right? It says... These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created, right? So, number one that I wanted to bring out here uh, is the very next sentence. It says, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, this word day right here is not talking about a 24-hour period, right? How do I know that? It's context, right? We talk about context so often because context matters, amen? He says in the, in the sentence before that, and this is the generation of the heavens and the earth when God created them, or when they were created, right? In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, this day is an idiom. It's, it's an expression for time or a, a time frame, if you will, right? Not necessarily a 24-hour period. It's saying 
when the Lord God created it, okay? I'm going to reread this and use the word when and show you how it absolutely does not change anything of what we're just about to read, okay? These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when, the, when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. See that? Nothing in the understanding of that passage changed at all. That's because he's using the word day as an idiom right there. Amen. We all know grammar. We all know when. It, look, if I said Carmen and I got married, you know, it, one day we got married one day. Right. Am I talking about a specific day? Yeah. Was it any day recently? No. Right. I'm just giving you a time frame. Right. Let's think about this way. Uh, um, one day last week, I mowed the grass, or I thought about it anyway. Carmen rolled her eyes just now. Okay, thought about it. One day last week. Now, I'm not giving you a specific day. I'm giving you a time frame. When was it? It was one day last week, right? Now, the idiom isn't even that clear because he's just saying when right he's giving you the time frame of when now how do i know this is not a 24-hour period because obviously it took more than one day to create the heavens and the earth moses who wrote this book later on says that god created the heavens and the earth in six days right rested on the seventh day established it in the mosaic law right on six days we work and on the seventh day we rest Right? So let's just be clear that day right here is just a vernacular idiom being used to describe a time period. Amen? Number two, I want you to notice that the terminology suddenly changes about God. In all of chapter one, it was God, 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 or in Hebrew, Elohim, 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 Elohim. And here it's the Lord God. Now, how many of you know what the word the Lord God or the Lord or Lord in English, where do they translate all this from? What word do they use when they say Lord right there? Anybody know? They should tell you in your little study Bible. Well, the, no, it's not, it's not technically the tetragrammaton. It's the word Yahweh, right? Because the tetragrammaton is just taking the vowels out of the, or the consonants or whatever out of there. It is Yahweh or Jehovah in Latin, okay? It's Jehovah or Yahovah or Yahweh. Okay? Either way you want to do it. That's the Hebrew word Yahweh. So now we have him talking about himself in the plural. Plural. Verse 
Well, they were without form and void. They weren't complete. Right. Right. So even if they took it that way, what you're saying is it's still right. Right. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. But I noticed that all of this chapter where he goes back to explain what God did, he doesn't use the word Elohim alone at all. He uses Jehovah Elohim or the Lord God. And we know Elohim means what? The most high, right? And Yahweh is his name, right? Can I show you that Yahweh is his name in Exodus? I want to show you something that I found because I was confused about this for a while, okay? <clears throat> Go to Exodus 3. Because what we always say, and wrongly so, I would imagine, but the word I the words I am that I am don't mean. Yahweh. The consonants from there spell out the tetragrammaton. Okay? The consonants from Ahaya, Ahaya. That's what that word is. I am that I am. Ahaya, Ahaya. Those consonants out of there spell out Yahweh. Okay? That's where they get the tetragrammaton. But Yahweh is spelled out in the sentence just after that. Okay, I want to show you. So in chapter three, uh, where is it? Yeah, probably. Yeah, watch this. He said, and God said, notice it says God. Now we, we, we know that's Elohim, right? It says God said, right? That's Elohim, right? Moreover unto Moses, thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers. Notice what he said. The Lord God. Of, he's using Yahweh right there. Okay. The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me. And this is my name forever. This is my memorial unto all generations, right? That's in verse 15. Sorry, I skipped 14, didn't I? Verse 14 says, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Now this I am that I am is Ahaya Ahaya, which literally means to be. That's what the word means, to be, okay? Uh, it means the, the most very literal translation of the word is to be. That's the shortest, most concise definition of that word, ahaya, okay? Now, that being said, that does not spell out the tetragrammaton. It's the consonants from that. Those two words, the ahaya, ahaya, put together. You take the consonants and you get the tetragrammaton, okay? Now, Right after he says, I am that I am, watch what he does. Watch what, watch what you'll read here. He said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me. Now he's saying, to be, or I am. Amen? 
Literally, Ahia means to be or I am. That's the most literal translation. But then he says this. Watch this. <clears throat> Verse 15. And God said. Notice this is not God. This isn't Moses' words. This is God's words in verse 15. And God said moreover unto Moses, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers. There we have again, Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh Elohim. He says, thus saith Take this to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. He doesn't say in verse 15, say, I am sent you. He said, say that Yahweh Elohim sent me. Amen. It's what he says. Right. That's why they don't pray like this. Oh, great I am that I am. Because I am that I am is not his name. Yahweh is his name. This is a consensus throughout the Hebrew history, right? I am only spells out Yahweh through the tetragrammaton when you take the consonants from I am that I am. Amen? So, the God that Moses met, Moses is writing about him in verse 2, and he changes the vernacular from just Elohim to Yahweh Elohim, or Jehovah Elohim, which is the same word, amen? If you go look up Jehovah, it's the tetragrammaton. Every time. I got my I got my Hebrew uh whatever you call it interlinear out and was looking at it all all day. Every time I read it, the Lord God, it's Jehovah and it's the tetragrammaton. Yahweh. Amen. Do you know why we don't translate it directly to Yahweh? Because the Hebrews actually didn't translate it directly to Yahweh because they didn't write his name. So you know what they put in the place of Yahweh in the Hebrew Bible? Adonai. Almost exclusively they used the word Adonai as Lord. Almost exclusively. Amen? So here we have God reveal name, even in creation, even before Mount Sinai. Amen? Now we realize Moses wrote this, right? We're not. But he's using language that he didn't use in chapter 1, and he has to be doing it for a reason. Amen? What could the reason be? Because there's only one God. Amen? There's only one God, and it's him that we worship. Amen? So who do we worship? Yahweh. Amen? 
Amen. I want to pull that out there because it's interesting. This whole chapter never once does in, in chapter two is God used almost exclusively. You got verse two, verse three, but you got to realize verse two and verse three and are finishing the seven day creation. Amen. Six days he created, seventh day he rested. And then in chapter four, you're starting a brand new thought. Or verse four, excuse me, not chapter four. Verse four, you're starting a brand new thought. You're reiterating what now happened and you're going to start giving details. And the first detail that he gives is that God created the heavens and the earth and the Lord. And it's not just God, but the Lord God. Amen. He's giving you a name to the Lord God. God to Elohim. He's giving you Elohim's name, Yahweh. Amen? Alright. Now that I spent plenty of time on that. <laughs> uh, just for the record, Yahweh is how it's pronounced. Y-A-H and then H-O and then V-A-W. That's how you pronounce it. Yahweh. Okay, there's no J, so we understand when they say Jehovah, it's actually what? Yahovah, right? Or if you slow it down and pronounce it right, Yahweh. Amen? All right, now that I gave you a crash course on one word in Hebrew, which is probably all I know, I want to talk about the next uh part of contention there's contention in this next verse okay now i want to read it to you and i want you to see the contention and then we can talk about it okay <clears throat> let's read it i'm gonna read it from the esv so it, you guys can get a little bit easier the contention here now watch this when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. Now stop. Right, excuse me, right here is where people start going, well, see, this is, this is contradictory because the plants were made way before man in chapter 1, and now here in chapter 2 you're saying there's no plants of any kind, and now he's about to make man. I'm going to challenge you with something. And I'll give you some context to challenge you with. This verse is absolutely not teaching that no plant existed at the time. Okay? I want to show you why I believe that. And why a lot of other commentators and Bible scholars believe that. Okay? Just from the context. First of all, when no bush of the field Stop. This word field in the Bible is nearly exclusively meant as a field that is going to be tended. Okay? A field that is going to be worked. In other words, not wild growth, but a garden type growth. A field. Okay? You see what I'm saying? Now, I want you to notice a few things just about this verse. 
It says, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field was in the land. So it's a plant of the field and a bush of the field. They would not call this a field if it wasn't meant to be tended, okay? So what he's telling you is that the field is a place for good growth or cultivation. So if there's a good place for cultivation, that must mean that there's a place that's too overgrown to cultivate and grow things for us to live on, okay? Meaning, like, you don't plant a field for corn under a bunch of trees. You don't do that. Why? Because it won't grow right, right? You don't plant a field full of corn in the middle of a briar patch because it'll be choked out, right? So I looked this up. And the Hebrew words being used here are the Hebrew words for fields, meaning cultivated land, okay? You can also, uh, there's also a context here that could say it's uh, open country, okay? And that would still apply because open country is definitely where you're going to plant a field, right? You're not going to do it in dense, uh, overgrown places, right? Because you're not going to get a good harvest because all the other vegetation is going to suck up the life from the soil that you're going to need to actually grow the stuff that you're growing, right? Now, how do I know that this is in the context? Well, let's just read the rest of the verse. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain and there was no man to tend the ground. Amen? Isn't that what it says? So the context here is not there was no plants anywhere on earth. There was not a suitable open ground field made with bushes of the field or herbs of the field because there was no rain and no man to tend the ground. This is in the context of what you're reading, right? So if we understand that, then there's no contradiction at all with chapter 1, period, in the story. Amen? Now, I'm not saying I'm 100% right on this. What I'm saying is you can see it in the context that it's a bush of the field, not, of, not just a wild bush. When it says a bush of the field, it can't be some wild bush. It's a bush that's tended, okay? An herb of the field is not one that just growing wild. It's an herb specifically made for that field, planted. Amen? And I would submit this to you, that upon creating man, God then makes a what? A garden. And he puts man in the garden. Amen? I don't know about you, but I don't put gardens in tree patches either. They go on open ground. Amen? So even the context of a garden 
makes sense in the reading of this text. Amen? The field is a place for good cultivation. Some say it may be open country. One does not plant a field except in open country. This must mean there is places that are less open containing perhaps other plants or trees that would be uh, make it poor for growing vegetation there. The land here is also translated earth. This is the contrast. This is in contrast to a specific place like a field. In other words, there was no fields suitable for growing sustainable food and they had not been planted yet because first there was no water and second there was no man to work the ground. Amen? Man only works ground that he's going to tend and look after. He's not going to look after the forests of the, you know what I mean? They, they grow all by themselves. They're taken care of. They're sustainable, right? All those wild plants are going to do just fine on their own. But crops that are annual and that you have to look after, that's the kind you plant in a field or a garden. Amen? That's the kind of food you plant in a garden. Stuff that you have to look after, watch out for, tend. Amen? It's the whole reason that man is being created to tend this garden. Amen? Or this field if you will amen now notice why why there was no fields or bushes of the uh, fields or herbs of the field because there was no rain and there was no man to till the ground I would also like to note that it says that the Lord God had not yet caused rain to fall on the earth notice that it's putting rainfall in the hands of what God does. Amen? Let's be honest. Let's talk about it. Amen? God is the giver of the rain. Amen? This is how Moses saw it. This is what Moses is saying. He said unequivocally, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. That's what he said. And we already talked about the, man, the land there is translated earth. Right? Or the rest of everywhere else. Amen? Now, it says that a mist, verse 6, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Now, this word mist could be translated spring, but either way, what you're getting is water seeping up from the underneath the ground to water the top of the ground. Amen? That's what's happening. There wasn't no rain at this time. This was just the way that water worked. You know what I mean? Uh, and then verse 7 was my main, was where I wanted to go besides verse 5. Because verse 5 can be very controversial. People will start making all kinds of wild accusations like, oh, see, the Bible's contradicting itself. Well, no, it's really not if you look at the way it's written. Amen. And I'm read, you can read it in the ESV, just to go backtrack in verse 5, it says, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, okay? Now, that was the ESV. The King James says this, and every plant of the field, it was, uh, now, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth. Notice that the King James even uses of the field. Why? Because the Hebrew uses of the field 
You can't take the of the field out of there or of the open plain out of there because that's in the language. Amen. So we're going to talk about what it actually says. It says of the field, of the field on both those things in both those translations. Amen. All right. I know this is really boring and it ain't like Sunday morning when I was screaming and preaching the gospel and all. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to close. Verse 7. It says, and the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Number one, I wanted to talk about, again, it continues this throughout the rest of this chapter. The Lord God created man from the dust of the earth. It's very important for us to catch these things because there's other parts of the Bible where it just says God, 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 God. But here, specifically, in the retelling of creating man and creating the garden, he uses the phrase, the Lord God, almost exclusively. You know what I mean? He's doing that for a reason. Amen? He's drawing attention not just to any God, but the God. Amen? So he's doing that on purpose. Uh, second, I want to note... The word for ground in Hebrew, or the word for land or earth, ground, not land, but ground or earth in Hebrew is Adama, A-D-A-M-H. And man, the word for man is what? Adam, A-D-A-M, Adam. Adam means Man. Man came from the dirt or the Adama. Okay? This contrast goes throughout Scripture. God even goes so far as to say, from dust you were made and to dust you will return. Why? Because he formed man from the dust of the earth or the ground or the Adama. Amen? So Adam was made from the Adama. <laughs> Amen? That's cool stuff to know, okay? But it's also drawing a distinction because man was not only made from the dust of the earth, but he was intended to tend the dust of the earth. Amen? He was intended to be its gardener, its shepherd, its husbandman, or whatever you want to call it. Amen? Huh? <laughs> yeah, he, you say he was tending his brothers and sisters <laughs> that's funny that's funny Oh, now it says and God breathed into man the breath of life now this is important number one every living land animal we know has the breath of life right it's said throughout the rest of scripture okay Later on, land animals and birds have the breath of life in them. Amen? Now, that's where people go see we're no different than the animals, except for the fact that no other being was made or formed in the image and the likeness of God. That word formed is yes, I, I have a hard time pronouncing this, 
yatsar, yatsar. And it literally means or gives the idea of a potter molding clay. Okay? God did not do this with any other creation. Amen? So the uniqueness of, first of all, God uh, forming us and God breathing personally the breath of life into us. Notice that it, although birds and land animals have the breath of life, it was not given directly to them, breathed into their nostrils by God himself. Amen. It, God spoke the birds out of the water, right? We, or the air, whatever one we talked about a couple, five, six weeks ago, right? And then he spoke the land animals right out of the land, right? He didn't form them. He didn't uh, personally breathe the breath of life in them. He just caused them to exist and come to life. Amen. But in man, he personally forms us. And then he personally breathes the breath of life into us. So we're seeing distinctions in just how we're made. Amen. The process, I mean, the process of us being made. God did not just speak man into existence. He formed man. He didn't just speak the breath of life into man, er, into man like he did the animals. He breathed it into him personally. And in this forming and in this breathing personally, we must assume that God did something different in us that set us apart as image bearers of God. Somewhere, whether it be in the forming or the breath of life, God imparted his own image and his own likeness to us. Amen. Now, we became a living soul, but animals are living souls. It says so. Okay. It says that animals have the breath of life. The distinction isn't necessarily in the fact that we're living. The distinction comes from what God did in forming us. Something about him actually personally forming us and something about him actually personally breathing the breath of life into us caused us to be then have the image of God implanted on us or in us. Amen. Because the reality is God called the animals out of the out of the dust of the ground and they became living things and they have the breath of life in them. Right. But it was not done personally, and God did not personally form that species and didn't personally blow or breathe the breath of life into them. He just called them forth. Amen. And something in the difference of that process caused the image of God to be placed in us. Amen. That's the uniqueness of created man. Amen. So for anybody to say, oh, we're just like the animals, we're absolutely not. Biblically, we were not made the same as the animals. We may be similar to animals. We may be similar in that we all have the breath of life in us. But we have the image of God, whereas animals do not. Amen? God's purpose is spelled out here, too. I want you to notice this. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathing his nostrils, the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And we know 
from chapter 1, if we flip back there to chapter 1, flip back to chapter 1 real quick, we see God saying this. Chapter 1, verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So when God, chapter 1, he just gives us a brief overview. God created man in his image and his likeness, and he created them male and female, right? But we don't get the rest of the story, God forming man from the dust of the ground. Man being alone for a while, and God saying, it's not good that man should be alone. And he makes man fall asleep and takes a rib out of man and creates Eve. And though Eve was made from Adam and Adam called her woman because she came from man, that woman was still made in the image and the likeness of God according to verse 27 of chapter 1. Amen? The realities of what we're seeing here is not two different stories. It's one story being uh, given very quickly, rapid succession with very little detail and chapter 2 starts to give you details of how God did what he did. Amen? And there's no contradiction in verse uh, 5 of chapter 2 and there's certainly not a contradiction here in verse 7 with any other uh, any other thing in verse or chapter one, because that's another thing they say. Well, in chapter one, he made them all. He made them both at the same time. It doesn't say God made man and woman at the same time in chapter one, does it? It said he created them male and female. Doesn't say when. Doesn't say they were made exactly at the same time. It says he made them male and female in his own likeness. Amen. So I'm just giving you some ammunition because these are things that people talk about, okay? These are things that people will try to stump you on, won't they? These are arguments that you're going to have to make at some point in your life. Somebody's going to ask you some question, and you're going to look at them like a deer in the headlights, and you're either going to say, well, my pastor never told me that, or you're going to say, I remember Kevin telling me that, and we're going to go look it up. I'll show you, right? It's good stuff. We need this kind of stuff. It doesn't... Now, we, we need Sunday mornings. We need, the, we need that kind of preaching. But we also need this, too, amen, where we're learning the details, where we're learning the little things. Maybe the boring things, right? That nobody really, yeah. well, people just read past. A whole new creation, yeah. Some, some will say that it was after the flood, which I find kind of weird saying that no rain and fell on the earth yet, and you're saying it's after the flood. <laughs> <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't comport with reality. Right, right. But they'll go to different, all kinds of weird doctrines, and they'll do that to little obscure passages throughout the Bible. Right, right. Well, and that's the importance of learning it, right? That's the importance of going through verse by verse and, and learning it. Amen? 
We need to do that kind of thing. It's hard. It's not easy, especially when you're really tired and all you want to do is really sleep and you didn't eat enough. And when you did eat, it made you more tired. <laughs> Amen. Come on. And I don't know. I don't know if it's just my sugar, but when I when I and when I wait too long in between eating and then when I do eat, I get tired. Like, yeah, I know. You keep saying it. One of these days we'll listen. Amen. Well, Mike, you want to close us in prayer tonight?